All these, all these gadgets, it takes a while to get ready. I hope you have been enjoying this series uh, in Daniel. A very interesting stories, quite exciting stories, really. And uh, as we come to this fifth chapter, I'd just like to note a couple of things before we actually get into what the chapter says. First thing is that the chapters that we've had so far, up until today, actually span a period of about 70 years. God had told his people through the prophet Jeremiah that he was going to let them go into uh, exile because of their moral, social, economic, and religious apostasy. It wasn't just one little thing. The whole nation, he said, you're called by my name, but you've gone rotten. And uh, I'm going to have the Babylonians come. They will take you into exile. Jerusalem will be conquered and the temple will be destroyed. And you will be in exile for 70 years. Jeremiah told them this. He warned them of this many times and uh, so had some of the other prophets as well. The all-conquering Babylon would wipe out Jerusalem. And it happened. But even though the people were in exile and they were under the judgment of God, God was still himself in charge. And this great power was under the hand of God. And in the first five chapters, and indeed the next chapter as well, we see how God shows himself to be sovereign. He is the ruler. He is the king. He is the one that promotes and puts down. And uh, even the great empire of Babylon has to yield to that. So you had in chapter 1 the courage of Daniel and his friends. They refused to uh, eat the food of uh, Babylon. But then chapter 2 is this great statue, um, that great dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and no one could tell him what it was, but it was only Daniel who could tell him. And then uh, there was the three that were delivered from the furnace. They were thrown into it because they refused to worship the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And then last week you had the humbling of Nebuchadnezzar, a man so proud as he looked around the fantastic city of Babylon and he saw all that was there and all that he had built. <coughs> he was so proud about it all that God struck him down and he was like a wild beast for a period of years, until God restored him. At each time, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges the greatness of God, if you remember. Each time he acknowledges that it's been God speaking to him, and he humbles himself. After a gap now of at least 24 years, and maybe longer, we now have King Belshazzar on the throne. In a year's time, there will be the proclamation that allows the Jews to go back to their own land. The 70 years is nearly fulfilled. 
at the very height of Babylon's power, before they had extinguished Jerusalem, Jeremiah said in his prophecy, Babylon was a gold cup in the Lord's hand. She made the whole earth drunk. And then he said, Babylon will suddenly fall and be broken. And in this chapter, we actually see it coming to pass. Now these events in Daniel didn't just happen. God was displaying his sovereignty to Babylon and to the nations. The fact that his people had been destroyed in the way that they had didn't mean he was not there. <coughs> he was showing his sovereignty, showing the nations, and he was showing his people. He was showing his people that he was as great and as glorious as ever, even though they were in exile. And the purpose of these events was not just to show the nations, it was for the encouragement of his own people in exile. In fact, that's the whole purpose of the book of Daniel as a whole. It is for the encouragement of God's people, and of course, for our encouragement too. The sovereignty of God, the purposes of God, are the theme of the whole Bible, not just Daniel. And we can be sure that as we look out today on a very troubled world, we can be sure that God has his purposes. There's much that we don't understand. But God is working his purposes out for his own glory and for the good of his people. God's kingdom will prevail. That's the bottom line of the last book of the Bible. Don't know how you get on with Revelation, but the bottom line of Revelation is that God has the final say. That's what we're seeing in Daniel. Now there's something else as we come to this chapter we need to think about. And that is the, if you like, the shaming of the Bible critics. Over a hundred years ago now, there arose a school of thought which was very critical, especially of the Old Testament. And they criticize its history and all sorts of things about it. <coughs> and as part of that criticism, they looked at the book of Daniel and they said, well, most of this is all fiction. And uh, certainly this uh, business about Belshazzar and his feast, that didn't really happen. There was no such character as Belshazzar. Where's the proof of his existence? And so on. <coughs> this is a made-up story to bolster the morale of the exiles. <coughs> but since those accusations were made, archaeology has proved them wrong. <coughs> and it is true now that there was such a man as Belshazzar. And it wasn't a made-up story. Nebuchadnezzar reigned for 43 years altogether. He had three successors in seven years, two of whom were assassinated. And then along came a man called Nabonidus. 
But he didn't really want to be the emperor. And so after two years, he brought in his son as co-regent. And Nabonidus went off and lived about 500 miles away. And his son, Belshazzar, reigned in Babylon in his place. And he was, de facto, the ruler. And he ruled in Babylon for 14 years. So he was the second ruler of the empire. And that explains that perhaps rather unusual statement when he said, I'm going to reward anyone that tells me what all this is about. Uh, he'll be the third ruler in the kingdom. <coughs> it means he would be after Belshazzar himself. And then again, uh, Darius, it says at the end of our chapter, that Darius received the kingdom. And uh, again, it was said, well, of course, Daniel's got his history all muddled up. In fact, they thought the book of Daniel had been written some 200 years later, and everything had got a bit garbled. <coughs> Everyone knew that Cyrus defeated Babylon, didn't they? Who's this so-called Darius? But we have good reason now to think that he was either Cyrus's general, so he received the kingdom on behalf of Cyrus, or maybe uh, quite likely that Darius was another name for Cyrus. It was a throne name. So I don't think, I think it's important for us to see <coughs> the time has shown the true historicity of this incident and should encourage us to think of the New Testament as being genuine history and genuine teaching from God. And just one word about Babylon itself. It was a city thought to be impregnable, and with very good reason. It was a remarkable place. It was rectangular in shape. I'm sorry I don't have the measurement, <coughs> but it was surrounded by a very wide and very deep moat. And then uh, inside the moat, there were two lots of double walls. And at least three of these walls were 20 feet thick. And the outside wall was at least 40 feet high. So it's higher than the average house. So any army would have a pretty formidable task of breaking into it. Impregnable, they thought. <coughs> More than that, if they were being besieged, they were not short of water because the river Euphrates actually ran under the walls and through the city and out the other side. So there was no difficulty about water, an impregnable city. But actually what happened was that the besieging army diverted the river so that where it went under the walls, the level of the water was down such that men could wade through it and they were able to wade through the river and under the wall and get into the city. <coughs> so an impregnable city fell. Well, that's my introduction. Let's just look at the story just for a few minutes. It begins with the feast. The Medes and Persians had taken a great deal of the Babylonian Empire by this time. <coughs> now the enemy was at the gates. Yet, strangely, Belshazzar thought it appropriate 
to hold an extravagant feast. A feast for a thousand of his nobles, for his the queen <coughs> and the concubines and so on. <coughs> Some think it might have been a religious feast. <coughs> Certainly he needed to beseech the Babylonian gods for help, didn't he? Uh, things that looked very black. Other people think it was just boosting the morale of his nobles. Here we have an impregnable city. What are you worried about, boys? They can never get to us here. <coughs> Whatever way, it was no small celebration. It wasn't just a three-course meal over a couple of hours. It was a major feast. <coughs> I'm sorry. Perhaps looking for something new and original and... Uh, Perhaps under the excitement and stimulation of alcohol, Belshazzar thinks it's a good idea to use the sacred cups and bowls taken by Nebuchadnezzar from the temple 70 years before. <coughs> let's have them out again, he says, and uh, let's use them for our celebrations. And these vessels were holy ones dedicated to the service of God. Even the Jews respected them. They were there for that purpose only. <coughs> and not even Nebuchadnezzar, with all his pride, had done this kind of thing. But Belshazzar is more arrogant still. He uses these holy vessels, dedicated to the Most High God, and they drank wine and praised gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and stone, we read. <clears throat> it was sheer arrogance. Pride. He was denying probably the very existence. If not the existence, he was denying the power and glory of the one true God. He was provoking the God of the Jews. It was, we can see in hindsight, it was sheer stupidity. And another general before him had found a very similar thing. And then, there's the writing on the wall. It wasn't just that there were words on the wall, but there was a hand. And it was actually writing. It was eerie. It was, it was spooky. What, what, what is this? And he, I don't know whether you can imagine it, but the buzz of noise in the hall <coughs> would suddenly stop and they would look and they would see the hand and the words. Belshazzar is really frightened. Terrorstruck, in fact. He calls out for the wise men with a loud voice. He gives them a promise of honor. Purple robe. Rank and status, the chain round the neck. The third ruler in the kingdom. <coughs> and when no one can be found, he's even more agitated and anxious, wondering what to do when the queen, or maybe it's the queen mother, comes into the banqueting hall. And he said, that's all right, uh, king, live forever. Don't let this thing worry you. There is a man in your kingdom. You remember all that he said? 
And she tells him about Daniel and his supernatural ability. She, he, she said, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And he had revealed everything to Nebuchadnezzar. Don't let it worry you. Ask Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was, uh, sorry, um, remember Nebuchadnezzar had been so impressed with him that he'd put him in charge of all his wise men. So Belshazzar calls him in. He promises Daniel the same words and uh, Daniel dismisses the promises out of hand. He's not interested. Instead, he gives Belshazzar a sermon, a history lesson. Listen, Belshazzar, God gave your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. All peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would he killed and whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he raised up and whom he would he humbled. But when he became proud and his heart hard, he was brought low until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and he sets over it whom he will. Didn't mince his words, did he? And you, Belshazzar, his son, and he's meaning his son in the term you're one of his successors, he's your predecessor, Belshazzar, you've not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. You knew these stories about Belshazzar. They weren't done in secret. They were open. You knew. Though you knew all this, you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. <coughs> not only has he profaned the vessels of the house of the Lord, he's actually used them to praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. And then he says, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honoured. And then he goes on to read the writing and explain the meaning. Matters have come to a head, Belshazzar. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Hmm. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. We're not told whether Belshazzar was pleased at this or what he thought of it. But he bound by his oath, he does give the rewards to Daniel. Significantly, there was no confession of God's greatness, no repentance, no self-humbling, Totally unlike Nebuchadnezzar. That very night his life was snuffed out. Darius the Mede received the kingdom. 
A year later, the decree allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem. We don't know whether the soldiers of the Medo-Persian army entering the city by stealth surprised the feasting Belshazzar and killed him in front of everyone, or whether the feast was finished and he was killed in his bed. We don't know. But we know that very night was his end. Well, I've rehearsed all that story because I think it's important to us. It's there to teach us something. And there are a number of things that perhaps you'd like to bring up, but I've just noted three things that I think are important for us this morning. The first thing is that Belshazzar had no inkling that his days and those of the empire were in God's hands. And he had no idea that this was his last day. He was pursuing his usual course, living his usual life. He was probably very much like Nebuchadnezzar uh, in his uh, selfish rule. But this, if only he knew it, was his last day. He didn't understand that his very life was in the hands of the God that he was despising. Didn't realize he'd been shown mercy for the last 14 years. He's been like an absolute monarch, getting up each day, deciding what he would do, deciding the fate of others. And this was going to be another day like the others, except, of course, we had the excitement of this feast coming up. The thought of the enemies outside apparently didn't worry him. He didn't know it, but the day of reckoning had come. You don't have to be a king to make a similar mistake. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself told the story of a man that succeeded so well in his business as a farmer, he thought, okay, well, I'm going to sell up now and I'm going to retire. He was a man that lived for money and possessions and pleasure. And the story that Jesus told ended, thou fool, this night your soul will be required of you. You have to give account They tell us these days that disease will soon be conquered. They seem to think they can see it coming in a few decades' time. Insurance actuaries tell us that soon we'll all be living to a hundred. Well, I don't say it quite like that, because actually it's an average. And you and I know of people all around us who are dying in the prime of life, and sometimes some even before that. We none of us know what tomorrow will bring. Our lives, whether we believe it or not, our lives, the Bible tells us, are in God's hands. Daniel put it like this, the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways. We can enjoy the mercy of God without realizing that we're in God's hands. God may well call time on us before we expect it. And even without any warning, 
God has the final say. Another thing about uh, Belshazzar was this. He had learned nothing about the Most High God. Even though he knew the events of Nebuchadnezzar's time, he hadn't learned anything from them. So on a whim, he uses the vessels of the Most High God to honor and praise false gods. Did he believe Daniel? Who knows? He was hard-headed and foolish. It seemed to have no salutary lesson for him when Daniel told him what was going to happen. You don't have to be a king to make the same mistake. It was true in Jeremiah's day, even before the people were taken into exile. Jeremiah was warning the leaders of the people, the priests and the prophets and the administrators and the king, (coughs) that their way of life (coughs) would be judged by God. And in one place he said, they've, they've turned away from God altogether. He says, since they have rejected the word of, God, of the Lord, what kind of wisdom do they have? It was true in Paul's day. You remember he said on one occasion that the Jews were looking for signs all the time. The Greeks were looking for wisdom. They weren't interested in the good news of the gospel. It's true in our day. Many just ignore God and his word and declare him to be totally irrelevant to their lives. And there are others who mock and are aggressive and hostile towards Christians these days. The God of the Bible, our God, is a great and awesome God. We hear a lot about his love. In part, what makes this love so wonderful is who this loving God is. He's not a benevolent old gentleman. He's not like Father Christmas. You can choose to believe in him or you don't. He's the God of the galaxies. He's the God of all that is. His glory, his majesty, his knowledge and power are far beyond our imagining. He's the sovereign God. It says that he is working things out for his purposes. Imagine you were taken prisoner and brought before one of the emperors in those days. If we were taken prisoner and brought before this great God, we would be terrified. We would be totally in awe at the glory of this powerful being. And it is this great God, in his loving mercy, that is calling out a people for himself today. This is what the Christian gospel is all about. This great 
and glorious God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's this God that's done that. And this God is going to have a world where sin and evil and everything that corrupts will be done away. Belshazzar hadn't learned anything about God. But God will have the final say for our world as he had the final say for the Babylonian Empire. And there's just one more thing I want to say about Belshazzar this morning. He didn't recognize God's kind mercy. He might have been swept away without any warning at all. God didn't have to warn him. But God in his sovereignty was gracious. There were the words on the wall. Not only that, Daniel was still available to him, the one that could reveal secrets. Daniel was still available. And Daniel spoke to him very clearly. Why didn't he respond as Nebuchadnezzar had responded in the past. Nebuchadnezzar had seen sense and he had totally humbled himself. I wonder why Belshazzar didn't do the same. The kingdom might have fallen in a different way if he had. He might have been allowed to live his life out till he was an old man. The truth is, he was too dense, too blind, too set in his ways to realize the value of Daniel's words and to recognize the mercy of God towards him. Just didn't think what mercy might be shown towards him as it had been towards Nebuchadnezzar. You know what I'm going to say? You don't have to be a king to make the same mistake. God's words, not just Daniel's, but God's words are available to us today. Not just the Old Testament, but the words of God's Son himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. There's coming a time when we must all give account You could say, if you like, the writing is on the wall. It's there. It's warning us. It's telling us. God in his mercy wants us to turn to him, to repent of our selfish and our foolish and our rebellious ways. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is part of the writing that's on the wall today for us, warning us that the time for giving account is coming. Now is the time when we can find the mercy of God. 
Now is the time when we can respond to the writing on the wall. The Apostle Paul put it like this, he said, Now is the time of God's favor. Now, not later. And so the Apostle Paul, motivated by the love of God, said, We are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Belshazzar didn't realize he was being called to account. He had no idea of the greatness and the glory of God. And he didn't look for the mercy of God. It's easy to spurn God's words. Many do it. And it's possible to ignore the mercy and the kindness of God. We can be like Belshazzar. But God will have the final say. 